scenes in Asher's life, in the, in, the eyes, in, uh, in the eyes of the people and behind the people to save the people. And the reason that I think that that is so important is because I know that in, during this year, some of us might be going through seasons of crisis. And when we go through a season of crisis, one of the things that we really want to happen in our lives is that we want to hear from God. We want to, we want to, we want to feel His presence. We want Him to be close to us. We want Him to hear. We want, to, we want something, a, a word, an encouragement, an angel, a pillar of fire, a prophet. There's none of that. That's happening in the book of Esther. And sometimes what happens is, is when God is silent, when we, he's not obviously making his presence known, sometimes then we think that he's absent. And I want you to know, and I want you to, the, the, the kind of win through the book of Esther that I want you to all to see is that even when the, God seems silent in your life, he's not absent. That he is working in that. So if you're going through a crisis right now, and we really want you to be encouraged and hear that, but also if you're not going through a crisis right now, it's just a truth that you need to make sure that you put in your back pocket. That you realize for those times of suffering when God seems silent and he's not moving in your life, or you don't think he is and he's not obvious, don't ever mistake the fact that God is not moving. And I hope that you're seeing that as we go through the entire story of Esther. So today we're going to pick up the story where we left off last week. And I've entitled this message, Before You Speak. And uh, you're going to see why in a minute or two why I titled it that way. But just to recap, so you uh, know where we are, or you're brand new here, and you're just like, I don't, I'm lost in the story, is that Queen Esther has risen to a place of power as queen over Persia. She has been told to keep her heritage a secret. And what we've learned is as the story goes on, her people, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, are in trouble. And I'm not just talking about a little bit of trouble. I'm talking about uh, an ethnic cleansing level of trouble. They are in deep, deep, deep trouble. And so she has a relative by the name of Mordecai who learns of the plan. And Mordecai goes to Esther and asks Esther, the queen, to speak on their behalf. And then, of course, last week we talked about the fact that Esther was hesitant. She was unwilling at first. And then Mordecai says a very famous uh, phrase that if you've been around church, you've probably heard for a long time. It's kind of like the motivational speech. She's, it says that she says this: "For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time." As this. So let me loosely paraphrase that just as a recap for you. Esther, check it out. Your people are dying, and if you don't do something, you're going to die. Did it ever dawn on you, even for a moment, that God put you where you are for a reason, and maybe this is the reason that you are here for such a time as this? And I would say to you, and I, I would bring that same idea to you as well. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there's a lot of people right now that would look upon the world and look about how dark and how evil it is and say, I just, I just can't, I just can't survive in it. It's too much. It's too dark. Jesus, come back soon. And of course, we want Jesus to come back soon. But did it ever occur to you that God did not place you in 1823? He placed you in 2023 for such a time as this. You see, friends, our whole world is dying. And the person that's killing us or isn't necessarily Haman like he is in the story, it's sin. Sin is out to destroy you, name you, hang you torture you. Sin is not your friend. And we need a Savior. Our whole world needs a Savior. And did it ever occur to you that you have the answer to that as Christians? That you can go out in the world and you can see that everyone is anxious about inflation or uh, World War III or Ukraine or Israel or you know, name a hundred different things and it's tearing people apart and, and you were made for such a time as this. You were placed here. And I say that to you not just only as in the sense of the gospel, did it ever occur to you that you were placed in the situation that you were in for such a time as this? You see, sometimes, friends, we get really upset that God has placed us in the situation that we're in. Well, I live in Three Hills, and I want to live in the mission field of the city. Or maybe I am not happy with the family that God has placed me. I don't like my brothers and sisters. I wish I had new brothers and sisters. How many of you would say that that would be? You've ever said that? Or maybe it's your school. Maybe you're homeschooled or you go to PCA or you're in the public school and you wish, man, I wish I was over there. Or I wish I was homeschooled, or I wish I was a PTA, or this or that, or the next thing. And did it ever occur to you that God has placed you in your family for such a time as this? That he gave you the parents that you have for this time. That he gave you your brothers and sisters, would you like to poke their eyes out with a stick, for such a time as this? Did it ever occur to you that you live in Three Hills for a reason? Did it ever occur to you that you go to the school that you are for a reason, that God has placed you there? Now, I want to be careful to say that I'm not saying that it's wrong to want change in your life, that it's, wrong, it, that it's not wrong to have a, want a better relationship with your brother or sister or your spouse, probably wrong to want someone else's brother or sister or spouse, but listen to me very carefully. It's like, it's not wrong, but the, the issue that I take is when you and I do not realize that God has placed us where we are, we do not put, we do not grow where we, we do not flourish where we're planting. That we kind of wish, we play the if only games. If only I had this, life would be better. If only I did this, this would be better. If only this would happen. If only this and only this. And what winds up happening is where you are right now, you don't put the effort into it. You don't flourish where you're planted. And so what I want to say to you is while you're waiting for God to move and change in your life, the application would be this. 
is wherever you are in, be all in. So if you're at school, and God has placed you there for such a time as this, put all your effort there. If he's placed you in a specific family with brothers and sisters, and you don't like them, tough! <laughs> put all your effort in. If you wish you were somewhere else other than ghost party or three hills, it's totally okay to ask God for those things, but while you're waiting, while you're in this circumstance, be 100% invested in where you are in. And that is what is going on in the story. Because all this stuff has happened in Esther, and she's like, she never got to live the life that she wanted. She never got to be her true self. She's got to hide that. She's got, to, she's got to marry someone that she doesn't really want to marry. And now she's put in a situation where she is risking her own life for the sake of strangers. And it's all like, I, I, I could, if, what if I could have done this? But what if God had placed her for such a time as this? So that's sort of the speech. It's, it's this quiet, it's this kind of, we will not go quietly into the night. And Esther, you got to do this. This is the motivational speech. You need to save your people. You need to go and do something. And she gets fired up, and she agrees. And she's like, I'm going to storm the gates. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to tell her what for. I'm going to do this. I'm going to just let the king have what for. That's what happens, right? Right? It doesn't happen. She actually waits four total days before she goes in and actually has the actual conversation with the king. And you, you think about the circumstance for a minute. This is a this is like emergency level issue, right? This is my people are gonna die, they're gonna be tortured, they're they're dying in fear, like why? Would you not immediately go? Like, why? Why would she wait? There is a verse that uh, I'm very, I mean, you might be familiar with. It's in James chapter 1, and it says this Know this, my brothers, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I think Esther, in her own way, is exercising that verse. Have you ever had to initiate an uncomfortable conversation or choose a hard path of action that you know is not going to go well? How many of you know have ever had to have a conversation that you do not want to have? You've got to be the one that uh, initiates the conversation, but you know that as soon as you have the conversation, it's not going to go well. Hands up. Yeah, a few of you. That's a reverse situation. It could not go well. It could go really, really badly. And those conversations can be most difficult. <clears throat> You're not sure how to go about it, or maybe you go in there, and, and I think what needs to happen is before you have a conversation that is uncomfortable, that has a huge amount of fallout, there needs to be some pause. Because... It's not just the fact that you're telling the truth. It's the fact that you're telling the truth in hopes of a favorable outcome. And that's what she's 
doing here? She just doesn't want to inform the king, oh, by the way, I just want to let you know there's a bunch of people that are dying. She actually wants the king to take action. And there's got to be more to it than just, uh, you know, just going in there and storing it in there. She's not sure exactly how to go about it. And so the problem that I want, I think that Esther shows extreme wisdom is because when you and I feel convicted to have those conversations or we, when we need to speak, we can sometimes get in a hurry and shoot from the hip. And we do or say things that we would later regret. regret. I remember, uh, I remember, uh, <coughs> oh, I'll, I'll skip that story, I'll probably some other time here, just for time's sake. There are times when we have to wait before we speak. And I would say to you that what Esther is doing here in the text is she is going to wait for the Lord. She is going to trust that the Lord would open doors. And I want to say to you that, that I think that gives us a pattern for how you and I are to act. Esther gives us an example of what to do before we have an unpleasant conversation. And so that would probably be the application that I would put today. Is that you and I, sometimes in our lives, will actually have to do or say something or take a big risk for God or have a conversation that we're not willing. And I think that there are three things that Esther does before she speaks that help the conversation go in her favor. And so I would say to you that as you follow along in the text this morning, that there are three things that you can take away from Esther's example about what to do before you speak and act. And the first one is, is that Esther fasts for the king. <clears throat> Uh, Esther chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 says this. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. So this is after Mordecai has given her the big speech. She's agreed to help, and this is the first thing that she does. She doesn't go into the king. She requests some time for, for fasting. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, either night or day. I and my young women will, do, will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and I will, if I perish, I will perish. So the very first thing that Esther does is, is that she fasts. And even though it's, it's not really mentioned, I would, I, I would say that the implication is that she's also praying too. She's fasting and she's praying. And so here's what I would say to you before you and I have those unpleasant conversations before you and I act, it is a good idea to pray. And I would even say fast. We were talking about it in Sunday school today. And, um, I, I just thought I'd have a few notes on fasting. I, you may have heard me say before that there is more scripture about fasting in the Bible than tithing. And that there is so much to be said about what is going on here in the text regarding this. So let me talk a little bit about fasting, and then I'll get back to the text. Fasting is, is a, a God-led, spirit-driven action. It's not a legalistic idea. It's not a work. It's not a hunger strike. Fasting begins with a hunger for God's direction. 
In your fasting, God, fasting is born out of an appetite for God's presence in your life, for his direction. Wanting God to lead and to show him to submit his face. It's wanting the spirit to drive in your life. The best uh, text, there are lots of texts on fasting. My favorite text on fasting comes from Deuteronomy 8. And I'm not going to read it for you, but in Deuteronomy 8, it gives three reasons, or three things that fasting does for you. Number one, fasting humbles us, because it shows us our limits. Number two, fasting helps us see what's in our hearts. It kind of brings to the surface what is deep down inside of us. Is there anger? Resentment? Well, I don't know about you, but I usually quell those things with a nice McDonald's burger. And here's what the thing about hunger does, is that it forces me out of that and away from that issue into the issue that I'm really dealing with. Thirdly, fasting teaches us to be dependent totally on God. And Esther needs all three things. She needs, a, she needs to have a conversation about God. She needs a leading. She's like, how am I going to do this? She needs to go into that um, throne room and not die. And there's nothing that she can do to control that circumstance. She has no ability to make the king be favorable or not favorable to her. That is totally something outside of her power and outside of her control. And so what she's doing is she's seeking God for wisdom and help. So here's what I would say to you before you have a conversation that is intense. I would spend some time praying and fasting. And here's what I mean by that. I don't, I don't mean, dear God, bless this conversation before we get in a really messy fight. And in Jesus' name, amen. I spend I mean that you spend some time seeking him. That you pray before you speak. You take some time. You take a set amount of time. Maybe three days or four days or whatever you feel like you need. You read scripture. You gather godly people around you like Esther is doing. To pray with you and for you. And what you're doing is you're looking not for people to give their opinion. You're looking for people to actually hear from God and speak God's voice. uh, Speak to you about what to do next. And I would say, like, what do I do? Do I pray? Do I fast? I I would say that it totally depends on how how much uh, wisdom you you need in the circumstance. I know that prayer can be a very, very, very hard thing. And if I were to be honest with you, I think uh, think it's hard for me too. But here's the thing, friends. I... I want us to be known as a church of prayer. You've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again. When people say here that you go to manor, the very first thing that I want them to, want to pop in their mind is that that's the, all that we do is that we pray. That we're praying for each other no matter what. We're praying for each other during the offering. We're praying for each other on Tuesday evenings. We're praying for each other in the foyer. We're, we're constantly praying for each other. That we would be constantly a people of prayer because we need his direction and his power. Okay? Here's, here's the win that I would love for us to have as a church. I think that the win for us in, in our prayer life is this. Until there are more people showing up 
at our prayer meetings than our board meetings, I'm very happy. Okay? I want one day, here's what I want to happen. I want to go to a board meeting one day, and I want Matt to say to me, Dan, we have an issue. There's not enough people coming to the AGM, but they're all coming to the prayer meetings. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm not saying we shouldn't go to the board meeting or the AGM meeting. I'm just saying, hey, if they were going to have a problem, that would be the problem that I would want to have. That we would be a people of prayer. And Esther is that. She's praying. She, she, she knows she's in a circumstance where she needs wisdom and she, she, it's beyond her control. And she's saying, I need prayer. And, and I want to be a person that is so saturated with prayer. Too often we act before we pray. And Esther here is a good example of someone who takes some time, even though the circumstance is dire, even though it's very, very dangerous, she takes some time to wait on the Lord. I think there are too many Christians are quick to speak, too quick to speak, and not quick enough to listen. And my prayer here is that I think Esther shows us is that we want to be a people quick to listen so that we may be slow to speak, so that when we do speak, it's powerful. And I think that's what happens in the story. Esther marinates what she's about to do in prayer, so that when she does say something, she prays. And just a quick word on this, I don't know how difficult you find prayer for prolonged periods of time, but I find like, there's two things that I would say about prayer, right? The first thing I'm going to say is that you're not going to get better at prayer by going to a bunch of Bible studies on prayer, okay? The only way that I know how to get better at prayer is to pray, okay? It's a lot like driving a car. You can read the manual all you want, but eventually you've got to learn how to stick shift, something I'm still working on, by the way. <laughs> prayer is the same way. If you want to get good at prayer, you're just going to have to pray. Okay? And, and if you're struggling with those prolonged times of prayer, here's what I would ask you to do. Season the day through, for prayer. So here's what, here's what I do with it. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm the best example of this, but with the family... I pray maybe four or five times a day for the family during the day. So we get up in the morning, we, we, get, our, we get ready as a family, and we go to work, and I drop Liz and James off at work, or work at school, and I just pray for them in the park. Okay. God bless Liz today. Hope she's doing well. I pray that you would give her energy and make that coffee do his job, all that kind of thing. When James gets to school, same thing. I'm praying for that. God, would you move here to do this? Would you help him have a good day? Would you help him learn? Then when Liz comes home, and we're having that how was your day kind of thing, and she's like, well, there's so many kids, and I don't like this person, and this parent was, she never says that, by the way. <laughs> but I'm really struggling with this, or this, or this. You know what we do is, like, we're sitting around, we're getting our lunches ready for the next day, and we just pray over the aisle. Yeah, you know what, babe, let me pray for that real quick. Dear God, we want to pray for this situation. We pray this. And you know what I find? is like when I do that continually throughout the day, then when it comes to those prolonged periods of, of prayer where I need to listen, where I need to, I can actually do it. 
you got a threat. So, first thing Esther does is she prays, she fasts, and I would encourage you to do that too. Second thing Esther does is that she respects the king. Listen to chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. It says this. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters. While the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the royal room in the entrance of the palace. And when the king saw Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. You know what I find very interesting about this? is uh, just by way of illustration. I don't know if you've driven around the county or just around the province in general, but occasionally you're going to see someone with a bumper sticker who has a politician that they love to hate, right? And it's usually some obscene sort of reference to that politician, or it's a cartoon of Calvin and Hobbes doing something unspeakable to that politician's name. It's just a really disrespect, right? I don't really, I'm really angry at this politician, I really don't like this, yada, 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 yada. Esther doesn't do that. Esther's not driving up in a 4x4 with a Calvin and Hobbes sticker with the saying, saying, down with Xerxes. And if there was someone who actually deserved to have that kind of sticker, it would be him, because he is initiating a genocide of millions of people. Don't you think that deserves a little bit of disrespect? Of course you would. But it says here in the text that Esther does not do that. She actually says this in the verse 1. She puts on her royal robes and stood in the kinder's, kinder's cart. She dresses up. Right? She approaches the king in a way. She's not going to Walmart on a Saturday in her PJs with curlers and just bursting to the king's palace. She dresses up in a way that is respectful for the king. And I would say to you that... <clears throat> Uh, when you and I have a conversation, a hard conversation with somebody, respect is very, very, very important. If you want really an application of how to respect somebody when you are about to have a very uncomfortable conversation, here's what I would suggest. I would, I would assume the best about the person and not the worst about the person. And that is actually what Esther does with Xerxes. Right? Because if you go on and read the story later, what winds up happening is Esther divulges, here's the problem I have, and what, what is the king's reaction? We are familiar with the story. What winds up happening? Anybody? He gets angry. He gets upset. Which leads me to believe that Azazarus was being misled by Haman as to the full extent of what is going on here. And so when Esther comes in, she comes in with respect, and she says, please, I need your help. So that's the second thing that Esther does. And the third thing that she does is she actually fosters the friendly relationship. Listen to what she says in going on uh, in the text. <clears throat> and, the, and the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even up to half the kingdom. Now, he's not literally saying, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. He's saying, hey, like, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. What do you need, right? There is another king in the Bible that says something similar. You guys know what this is? 
This is the story of John's beheading, right? Same sort of thing. It's sort of like a sort of like a, a hyperbole, if you will. And so you need to understand that you know she could have just gone in right away and said this, but but you need to understand that Esther has no idea how the king is feeling right now. It's been about thirty days since she he's seen, she's seen him. She doesn't know what kind of mood he's in. Doesn't know what's going on. And so what she does, he says, I need to, I need to, I need to be on his good side. So let me have a feast. <clears throat> she says that's going on in the text. Esther said, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for them. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. I want to make you I want to make it very clear here that it is Esther's relationship with the king and only her relationship with the king that God used as by a means to save the people. I want you to catch that. Okay? If Esther had gone in and she was not the queen, if she was not Zazarus's wife, if she was just some girl and said, I need you to save my people. It still would have been true, but there but it wouldn't have it wouldn't have landed the same way with the Lazarus. Let me be, be very clear with this. Relationships always help you to have a hard conversation. And it is far, far, far more effective to hear something hard fostered by a deep relationship than to hear something hard from a total stranger. Okay? It's the weight of the relationship that actually gives the person a little bit more uh, open-mindedness to what is being said. If you want another good example of this, I did bring this up when we talked about it, Daniel. Do you remember this? Is that Daniel is uh, the king? The king of Babylon has, has uh, issued a decree that all the wise men, all the astrologers, are to die. And Daniel, uh, and the king, the, the king sends out his best assassin to do it. And at this point in the story, Daniel is a nobody. He doesn't really have any clout. He's not famous for anything. He's just a guy from the land of Israel. There's 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 nothing really to him. And then he goes up to the guy that is ordered to kill all the wise men, and he says, let me help you. And it's inferred by their commentators that he is actually building a relationship. That relationship allows him to speak to Henry. He goes and prays, and Esther is doing the same thing here. Relationship, I want to say, is one of the most, outside the word of God, is probably one of the most influential factors for you believing the truth or believing a lie. It's not the media, it's not what you listen to, all those things do have influence, but it is, in fact, the relationships that you carry. And if you don't believe me, this is what's going on in the text, God positioned Esther as Zerah's wife, so that he could, she could speak into this very issue. So, those are the three things that she does before she speaks. She prays, she respects the king, she gets ready, she dresses up in royal attire, and she goes and invites the king for dinner. She has, she's fostering the relationship. Okay. So the question then is, 
Why did Esther not immediately present her real request to Azazerus? Okay. Notice that she doesn't go in to the king's palace and immediately point him out. Which is something that I would have done. I would have gone in there and said, That guy over there, he's killing my family. Do something about it. Esther doesn't do that. Why does she not do that? Well, I think the one word that I would say is that is this. Is that she, there is a famous verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7. that says, there is a time to keep silent and there is a time to speak. And I think what she's doing is she's trying to figure out when to speak. She's waiting for the right time to speak. When she's seen favorable in the king's eyes. I want you to understand that what is going on here, everything that she's doing, the prayer, the dressing up in the royal robes, the invitation of not one but two dinners, is all to accomplish one thing, is to make the king favorable and in a good mood to Esther. And if you don't believe me, look at the text. Esther uh, 5, verses 2 and 3, uh, says this. When she comes in and she goes into the palace, she what? One favor in her sight. Then when the king asks, she says, what is your request? It shall be given uh, up to you uh, to half the king. And what does Esther say? If it pleases the king. And then, later, when they do have the dinner, uh, and the king asks, hey, what do you want? What is all this about? What does she say? If I have favor. All this is to do is to get uh, uh, the king in a more receptive place. So all that she's doing is she's doing that. And I just want to make this observation. Fasting and prayer, respect and relationship, encouraged favor for Esther when the moment came to speak. Okay? I want you to catch that. All three of those things. So it's, it's not just that she has to tell the truth. What she's doing is that she's hoping by telling the truth, the king will act, that her people were saved. It's not enough to say to her, say to the king, my people are dying just to let you know, go about and do the business. And she goes, well, I tried. What she's looking for is she's looking for something that saves. And in order to do that, she wants the king to be receptive. And she knows that she knows that she that is totally outside of her control. So what does she do? She prays to the God who can do something about it. Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs, or maybe Psalm says this, that the heart of the king is like the channels uh, in the Lord, channels of water in the Lord's hands. He directs it as mercy to go. And that's what Esther is praying. Esther is praying that Hazazarus would be receptive to what is going on. She's also respecting the king. Respect puts her in a favorable light with the king. And she fosters her relationship with the king. All three of those things put Hazazarus in a place where he is willing to listen and be in a favorable response to him. And I would say to you that that would be the same thing that you and I need to do whenever we're in a situation where we need to act or we need to have a conversation with somebody. Praying, respecting the person, and building the relationship are all things that help you have a favorable response when you have to have a conversation on the level that Esther has to have. So what is the result? The result is simply this. Or sorry, let me let me back up and say this. 
Before we speak, prayer, respect, and relationship can aid us when the moment comes to speak. Is there an area where you need to talk to somebody, where you need to spend some more time praying? Maybe you need to check your heart and ask, are you being respectful of this person? Are you building a relationship with this person? All that kind of thing. The result of this is two things. Number one, the king is in a good mood, and Haman has no idea. So if you look at the text, and we'll finish off here, it says this. It says in 5 to 6, it says, When they were eating and drinking, after the wine and after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be fulfilled. So he's in a good mood. He's in a spot where Esther is now ready to speak. And then the second thing that happens is that Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. He's got no idea that he's being set up. And as you're going to see, it's, it's gonna, it's, there's a certain amount of irony that is happening there. So, that is where the story ends today.